0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Flavor of the Week, brought to you by Banditos, fresh made daily. In Flavor of the Week, Kyle sits down with one of our local priests over four different episodes to sample variations of a favorite food or drink while they discuss the ins and outs of life as a priest.
1: Welcome to Flavor of the Week, part three with Father James Bromwich. Thanks for being here, Father James. It's my pleasure. You said you wanted to do garlic, and so far we've done a garlic hummus and a garlic, what was it, Monterey Jack cheese? I think so. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have a garlic and herbs soft spreadable cheese. Okay. So, uh, we've also got our garlic naan and our garlic and onion crackers. So I don't know which one this is going to go best with. Got a knife there if you want to.
0: Well, since my self consciousness yeah. about crunching in the uh, microphone, right, I guess right. I'll go with the naan. Yeah. Okay. However, this cheese—it's got the chunks of garlic on top. I have used this have on s- salmon before. Yeah. Oh. It's good on salmon. Like uh, lox? Is that what they call it? Lox and No, I actually cooked capers. the salmon. So oh, okay. No, I actually cooked the salmon. And in the last uh, five minutes of cooking, you put the cheese on it, put it back in the oven. Okay. So this exact good. kind here, this? Exact kind, yep. Cheese? Hopefully it's Or okay. something similar to that. Right? Okay. Can we say name brands on the radio if they haven't given us money?
1: Mm-hmm no way <laughs> unless we say it's not good maybe
0: mhm mm.
1: very nice i like that well i think we're 3 for 3 yeah we're doing good oh that's the, good and strong too the, the next one's going to be a doozy though Is so it? watch out we'll see really strong well i don't i don't know i haven't tried it yet but it's a little more bold of a decision. How do you think the patients at the hospital will feel about this? I <laughs> I think you might have to take a a sucker with you be way short visits yeah. with garlic coming out of my pores. Speaking of, mentioned that you were a nurse prior to being a priest. Have you ever worked as a nurse
0: since you've been a priest? Just in the missions. Oh, okay, sure. When yeah. You were so uh, in Haiti. Right. I was in Haiti post earthquake Haiti and yeah, worked definitely as a nurse. So okay. I would put an IV in or or do some other treatment on a patient and then anoint them. So mm. all in one. So yeah. Sometimes they were a little shocked when the priest with a stethoscope around his neck was coming. But yeah, it's not so unusual. The Jesuits do that all the time. Huh? Yeah.
1: Interesting. And so now you are a chaplain at our hospital. You've kind of been in and out of the hospitals, I assume, since you've been in the area, helping I have, out with different right. things, right? I was at
0: St. Joseph Hospital first right. as chaplain and sat on their ethics committee and okay. was sort of a an ethics and Catholic identity point person there, kind of with uh, the bishop's blessing. And, uh-huh. uh, so kind of helped with that there at St. Joseph and then moved on to Parkview. They had a position open and was teaching medical ethics at the same time mm-hmm. You know that I was doing that. What are some of the biggest Ethical issues that come up in the medical
1: field, especially in this area, maybe. I imagine it's different from different political
0: areas. Yeah, I think the biggest concerns that people have have to do with end of life decision making. Uh-huh. What is it right for us to do? I mean, from the family's perspective, yeah, and sometimes even from a physician's perspective, like, yeah. what, what is it right for us to do? Like, how much can we do? It could also be involved with organ donation and how okay. some, of the, some of the biggest issues I've dealt with have to do with organ donation and what is actually allowed when a, the patient is still alive but mm-hmm. is going to be an organ donor. And what are we allowed to do to that patient? Mm-hmm. And the guiding principle always is you're not allowed to treat the patient like a, a receptacle of organs, which is sometimes a risk okay. that they're still a human being, that person is still alive, uh-huh. and you can't just treat them as a receptacle. Of organs, and you can't do anything that would directly
1: cause their death. Right? Exactly right. That's exactly right. Or even
0: indirectly. Um, right, um, yeah. more or less. <laughs> it gets more complicated, but yeah, there's there's a certain amount of time. I mean, the person actually has to be deceased, and there's a certain amount of time that needs to elapse mm-hmm. after they have died. Say life support is being removed. Uh-huh. There's a certain amount of time that has to elapse so that we have a, a, a moral certainty. That they are actually dead mm-hmm. um, before we begin removing organs. So, that
1: obviously being issues that you dealt with when you were on the, the ethics board, mm-hmm. do those things still come up as a chaplain? More than asking you questions? And,
0: I'm not on the ethics committee of Parkview, yeah. but kind of taking a break from that part of it. But uh-huh. I get ethical questions all the time. Sure. And so, you know, they do center around, I would say, mostly end of life mm-hmm. and what is it okay for us to do as a family? I just was dealing with one today, but talking to a patient herself about what is it okay that I do. Mm-hmm. And people don't want to feel like they're responsible for the death of their loved one. But at the same time, they don't want to be keeping their loved one alive indefinitely. Yeah. It's more personal now. It's usually with families and patients that I'm working mainly uh, with these questions. Mm-hmm. And I don't imagine you're the only person that is serving as
1: a chaplain at the hospitals. Is there yeah. other people that come and will help with communion or say prayers with people and things? Oh like sure, that? yeah.
0: I'm, I'm the only priest chaplain at Parkview, right? Uh, but we do have lay people who come and uh-huh. are extraordinary ministers of communion to right. the sick. And there's also other non-Catholic chaplains that I work with very closely, employed by Parkview, and I have got a wonderful relationship with them.
1: Yeah, it's always interesting for me to see the different denominations working together in mm-hmm. these hospital settings and things. How often are you seeing
0: non-Catholic patients? Oh, I would say several times a week. Yeah. Sometimes I walk into a room and they're listed as Catholic and they're not Catholic. Okay. And so that would be one instance. Uh-huh. Other times I'm requested to come into a room, even though they're not Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, this happened with an Amish family some months ago. And In fact, even last year, I worked very closely and tightly with an Amish family uh-huh. in a situation. So I get that request, too. I may be walking through a waiting area, and I'm ushered over you know, yeah. to talk to a family. That they specifically want you because you're a Catholic priest,
1: or they just want some kind of ordained minister, and you're the closest
0: It's both, okay. but often it's because I'm a Catholic priest or calling me over. They uh-huh. have particular questions. For me, yeah, I don't know why that is, but yeah. yeah.
1: What are some of the things that you offer
0: as a chaplain for people when they're in the hospital? That's a great question. You know, the sacramental ministry is obviously important. Uh So, the anointing of the sick, Mm -hmm. confession. I carry the Eucharist with me as well when I'm rounding. Um, But, you know, so much, because so many people are not practicing their faith. Mm -hmm. So, that's one part of it. So, what I offer, first of all, is just trying to put a good face on the Catholic church and the priesthood. Yeah. So it's being very friendly, smiling, being happy, uh, letting them know, you know, sometimes people kind of cower a little bit when they say, well, I don't really practice or I've done bad stuff or whatever. And for me, it's just, I don't at all re- respond negatively to that at all. Yeah. I let them know in my own way, you are totally loved. It is totally okay that I'm here. Uh-huh. And that's the first step. I've seen conversions happen because of that. Yeah, the people are now open to speak to me because they saw that I was not reacting. Not negatively. condemning. Exactly, not condemning right. them, not judging them. It's it's okay, you know. I I'd like to hear your story. I'd like to hear more about where you're at. And the other part of the ministry really is, you know, providing that comfort. Sometimes just letting somebody talk. Mm-hmm. So it it is important, I think, that priests not see their ministry to the sick as purely sacramental. Hmm. And I only say that because I have uh, seen that happen sometimes where we will have a tendency to say, okay, I I need to just go in and get this task done, which is the sacramental anointing of the sick or confession or both. And so, yeah, that's important. But what they often need is they need you. Hmm. Uh, They need Christ to sit next to their bed and to Talk to them. I just today in this day of this recording, I've had two different situations and rounds where I thought just when you think you're going to be trying to make quicker rounds so you can get somewhere else, right, right, guess where to be. Then all of a sudden it's like, all right, let me get a chair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: for those that listened to Flavor of the Week Part One with you, you talked a little bit of your journey, and you mentioned that there were a couple times where you left the church. Mm-hmm. Do you think that experience helps you whenever you? Are talking with somebody who says they're not going to church or they're not really living out their faith? And you're like, yeah, I, I've been there. I understand. And that gives you, I don't know, a, a different perspective than somebody who is cradle Catholic, stayed in the church their whole life, and doesn't really understand that struggle?
0: Oh, definitely. That I grew up Methodist, not, you know, right. with no religion right. at all is one. And then I left the church. And also the reason I left the church, mm-hmm. I have definitely opened the doorway to two or three different individuals and their families by just sitting down and telling them my own story about why I left the church when I was 18, 19 years old. And that what happened after. I mean, it opened up an invitation to, will you come speak to us more? One case, it was, will you speak to our whole family? Because we need healing so badly Hmm. regarding what's happened in the church. And so, the fact that they knew that I went through that, I left the church, I came back, and why I came back, and why I'm still here as a priest. I think that is so important to be able to have that kind of suffering in your own past, and to be able to connect it to that individual story. And so that's a big part of what I do. And I I think that being in the hospital and going door to door to door and never knowing what's behind each door. Yeah. Except I know somebody's sick. That's all I know. Right. I think I have opportunities sometimes that pastors don't have. Because as a pastor of six years, I didn't have all these opportunities I have now, where I'm just thrust in the room with somebody face to face with humanity, with all kinds of stuff going on. Yeah. And now my job is just how do I open up conversations? How do I allow them to feel safe enough to talk to me?
1: Right. Every situation is different. And what you say to each individual, I imagine, is custom to the person. Mm -hmm. But if you had to make a blanket statement to somebody who's listening and is struggling with the church and their relationship with the church, maybe they've left the church, maybe they've never been Catholic and they're listening. What would you say to somebody that's a little confused
0: and challenged in this time? Yeah, I always ask people if they don't mind telling me what caused them to stop going to the church, uh-huh. what kept them from the Mass. Yeah, And the other thing that I often say to people that has been very helpful to people, and don't get me wrong here, you can't say these things prematurely to people, mm-hmm. but it comes with more of a relationship and a conversation. But I repeat what the Benedictine monk said to me that really helped me make a firm decision to be back in the church. And about after everything I've been through, he said, so what you're telling me is that by you not coming to mass because of what happened to you, that you want to keep letting those people who did whatever they did to you have power over you. Hmm. Why are you doing that? Why would you give them the power over you? Why would you let them keep you from our Lord and communion at his altar when he's inviting you? And that has been extremely powerful for quite a few patients Mm -hmm. when I say that. For somebody that is
1: going to the hospital either because they have some physical need or they're going with a family member or friend or something like that, what is something that somebody checking in the hospital should think of or do to – be able to have access to prayers and sacraments and things. Whether right. at the hospital, T-
0: tell the registration person that you're Catholic. Okay, if you're Catholic or what religion you are. Uh-huh. So you want to identify your religion and maybe your church because they're supposed to ask you when you come in, but they don't always remember. I guess. Yeah. And the other thing I would say too is it's, it's great that we're there, and I have mass at noon. Uh, Most days at the hospital, except for Wednesdays and Saturdays, and that's on channel 21 at Parkview, in addition to the diocesan mass on Sundays. But I would say those two things, but also I think that it's important that you notify, especially if it's a grave need, really notify your pastor that Mm. you're in the hospital Mm -hmm. because you have a relationship with your parish and your pastor or your parochial vicar or parish community itself should actually be involved in your life. When I was a pastor, I had uh, pretty much two hospitals I took care of, community hospitals. I wanted to know when people were there, and I always went out to see everybody that was in the hospital. So I think that's really important.
1: Uh All right. Well, so much more to talk about, but we're going to have to uh, call it a day here. Mm -hmm. So the garlic spread, you— Excellent Nice and strong too Really good Good Good. Well we've got one more garlic flavor to try And a lot more to learn about Father James Bromwich And some of the future things that you have planned I'm excited to hear about them Coming up here on Flavor of the Week Brought to you in part by Bandito's